I made a list some time ago, added to it today even, on weapons that are ours. Uh, there I could probably go twice as many as this because our weapons are mighty through God to the point of the stronghold. Amen? <laughs> our weapons are not conventional. His weapon is the, the only weapon that he has that really works is deceit. Lying. That's it. I told you this before. I want you to be under, make sure you understand it. The enemy cannot come up with something brand new to come against you with because the Bible says whatever he has done, it has to be common to man. That's his limitations. That means prior to Christ, if he did it, we have a record of how he did it and we have a record of how to stop him. So he can't come up with some brand new diabolical thing that no one knows anything about and come against you. Okay? Bible says we know his ways. The big thing you have to do is begin to understand what his fingerprints look like. Because so often he's involved in your life, but you think it's coincident or you think it's just one of those goofy things. And I don't believe in coincidence. I believe my life is totally orchestrated by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if something's out of sync, that means somebody's tinkering with God's plan in my life. Come on, you with me? That means I've got to be diligent. I've got to be on my toes, and I've got to be ready at a moment's notice to fly into the face of the enemy. The Bible says to resist him. <coughs> Peter said, resist him. If you remember last week, I gave you an illustration. Some of you weren't here. I'll just give it to you so you understand what resist means. It doesn't mean... Hey, you cut it out. We had an old mother cat, a calico cat, and had kittens, and we moved into this house. I was in about the first grade. And uh, Mrs. Oh, I can't think of her name. I thought of it just a moment ago. Ravine came next door, came over, and she said, I got this big dog, and she said, it's killed cats. You've got a cat. Mom said, well, there's not a whole lot I can do about the cat. If he does it, he does it, and that's going to be it. Well, the cat had kittens. And mom saw the dog <laughs> coming under the kitchen window, heading to where the cat was with the kittens. She headed for the door, and by the time she got out of the door, all she could hear is the dog screaming. And the mother cat was on the dog's head with his front feet behind his ears and his back feet ripping up his nose so bad they had to take him to the veterinary to get him sewed up. <laughs> Now, the interesting thing was she came over that night and she said, your cat tore up my dog. You need to pay the veterinary bill. <laughs> Mom says, let's, let's see if I have this right. Your dog came over to kill my cat. My cat protected herself and I got to pay your vet bill? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but Mom and Dad became friends later on with him and had an opportunity to lead him to Jesus before, before both of them died. Some of our weapons... One of the weapons that we use most of the time jointly is his word. Okay. He says, you magnify, Psalms 138, second uh, verse, says, you magnify your word above your name. In other words, 
His word is greater than his name, and there's no other name that's given under heaven than the name of Jesus. But he says, I magnify my word above my name. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will what? Never, never pass away. Which means it's a document of truth that a lot of times we've got to be saturated in before we see results coming. One of the challenges we have, we've got the mental side of us. We've got the, the, the ability to comprehend in our brain, and we know, well, let's say God heals. That's not a problem. If I ask any one of you, does God heal? You say, oh, in a heartbeat, yeah. Does he heal you? Well, all of a sudden, you get a report from the doctor that isn't uplifting, you now have a massive warfare that you're going to have to fight because you have his word which put fear into your heart which logically you know he heals but you aren't healed through your logic. You're healed through your spirit man when the spirit man is revived by the word where the word becomes stronger in him than the fear that's in you then the healing is manifested. And I, I mean, it's a warfare. I've had many times where I've had major issues, and the only way I got through it, I, yeah, I had my scriptures. I also had them on, on an old cassette recorder. And when I was too tired to quote them, I would listen to them while I was sleeping. But I knew once I got it down into my spirit, man, I could tell you when I was healed. Not when my body responded to it, but when my spirit man stood up and said, if you're, if you're healed, why are you laying in bed? This last, one of the last times I got up, sat up for five minutes, sweat so badly I totally soaked my robe, soaked, soaked everything, went back, got some dry clothes on, went back to bed, said, Father, thank you for five minutes of strength. I'm healed. Now, my body hadn't responded. My body didn't respond the next day. My body didn't respond the next day. It took almost a week for my body to catch up with my spirit man, but my spirit man is so much alive that my body no longer dictated whether I was healed or well. Come on, are you with me? We were supposed to stay home. I was supposed to stay home, stay in bed. Doctor said, this is critical. He said, if this thing ruptures, you could bleed to death. And I said, but I'm healed. He said, I know. He said, Roger, go to bed, stay in bed for at least two weeks. I said, well, it's going to be kind of tricky. I said, next week we're going to be in Laguna Beach. I've got an apartment on the north end of Laguna Beach right over the, right on the edge of the beach. Oh, he said, Roger, don't go. He said, I, I, I can't. It's paid for. Man, I, you know, I, we were poorer as it was. It took all year to scrape the money together just to be able to go. <laughs> I said, no, we're, we're going to go. He said, well, whatever you do, don't drive. And when you get down there, stay in bed the whole week. And I said, okay. So I drove down there, and Lenny and I walked all over Laguna Beach. This is back when they, before they had the commercial like they have it now. This is back when they used to take vacant lots, and they would take their doors, and they'd take a variety of different things and make their own little cubicle that they would sell their stuff in. We had far more fun. They came home. Now, doctors never call you, but Monday morning I get a call. He said, Rog, how are you doing? I said, I'm healed. He said, now, he was a believer, and he, he understood my, what I was saying. He said, now, Rog, he said, I understand what you're saying, but he said, how are you physically? I said, Doc, I'm as normal as I was two months ago. I said, I am healed. 
He said, I don't believe you. I want to see it at 7 o'clock in the morning. Well, when you ever fall in the hands of a doctor who knows it's there and can't find it, I thought I'm going to have to whip him to get out of his office. <laughs> but until it registers, come on, you've got all the fear, doubt, and unbelief. You've got a life of fear, doubt, and unbelief that we've got to deal with, and the only way you can do it, and the only thing that'll penetrate it, and the only thing that'll soak through it is the Word. He sent His Word and healed them. I gotta go. got a whole bunch more. His name. He's been given a name above every name. There have been times when you'll just stand there and say, in the name of Jesus, stop it! Now! I was out on the island. I was out on oh shoot, uh, Catalina. We'd gone out with a Boy Scout, where the old Boy Scout camp is on the north end. It's off season. We had a bunch of Sea Scouts out of Visalia. And uh, if you know anything about Catalina, at the time it was loaded with goats. And uh, there's a little finger that kind of went out into the water. And I don't know, you're probably 100, 200 feet off the off the water down there, and I'm sitting looking back over Newport Beach, and said, I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, crystal clear night, and I heard a click behind me, and I turned around, and here's this billy goat between me and where safety was. Well, I went and tried to get past him, and I realized I couldn't, and I made a fatal mistake. I grabbed him by the horns, tried to throw him out of the way, and all that does on a billy goat is just riles him up like you can't understand. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get around him. Finally, I, I stuck my finger in his face and said, In the name of Jesus, stand there! I walked off and I got probably about 15 feet from the door before the goat moved. By that time, I could run into one of the buildings. <laughs> but when you use the name, something has to happen. Come on, are you with me? He said, well, it's a stupid goat. I know, but the spirit of the goat understood the name. His blood. One of the things that we don't study often in the body of Christ today is the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power. Where? In the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the protection of the blood. There's power in the cleansing of an area with the blood. I would recommend this. We, we haven't done this for, for, for an extended period of time. We used to do this quite regularly, especially when we were doing a lot of personal ministry in the home and such, because people were bringing stuff in that was beginning to experience it kind of manifest we could always tell when something was wrong because we start yamming at each other because our home is peace you walk into our place it's a place of peace but we start all of a sudden we get real clever we said whoops something got drug in here and it's it's an irritant within us here we start at one end of the room we'd open a window at the far end and we'd go into each room and we'd say in the name of jesus we cleanse this room with the blood of Jesus, every foul thing that's not of the Holy Spirit, out! And we went from room to room to room to room till the last room with a window open, 
and we shut the window. And I tell you what, the dynamics of the house changed immediately. Because a lot of times you have people come in your home, they're, they're bringing baggage. And unfortunately, some of that nonsense stays. <laughs> but if you do it, I'm going to just touch on this. I may talk about it more next week, but I'm going to just touch on it. Double check what you have in your home, because whatever you have in your home that's not of God, that's of the enemy, is a doorway for the enemy to come into your home. You can do everything correctly, but if, if you've got some ungodly thing there, and I'll use it that way, that is a doorway that he has permission to get into your home. So when we first learned about this, we took about the first two or three years going through everything in our home. And if we were not at total peace when we looked at it, we trusted the Spirit of God in us. We got rid of it. We got rid of some nice stuff. One day I was concerned. I was frustrated. And I, I you know, just, ah, just growling. And I said, Lord, what, what, what's going on? I was standing in the garage. He said, what do you have above your head? I said, about 15 years of National Geographics. He said, do you realize everyone in your National Geographics has, they honor other gods except me? It's there, a godless magazine that's a doorway into your home. Now, I'm not saying this, I'm talking me, okay? I'm not talking about you. you maybe you can have it and it's not a problem. So I said, okay, went up and pulled down boxes and boxes of stuff and threw in, threw in the dump, okay? But I want my house clean. I want peace. If, I, if we have a troubled, couple of nights of troubled sleep, we immediately understand there's something in the home because our homes are, it'll manifest in children before it'll manifest in you. If your children are having nightmares, it's a spiritual issue. It's not a scary issue. It's not a boogeyman under the bed. Tongues. Ah. He's given us warring tongues, a praising tongue, and a praying tongue. There are times you get into warfare. I tell you what, you get into your prayer language in warfare, and even you become concerned for him. It's powerful. Well, how do I know when to use what? I ask him, how do I, how do I come against this? Everything that we're talking about is not something I think, well, today I think I'll try tongues. No. No, no, no. I want the weapon that's going to work. So I said, Father, I don't know what I'm up against, but I need to understand what weapon is going to be the most effectual for me to use. How do I handle this? And that's, what, that's where these came out of my life. These are weapons I've had to use. These are not things that I've just dreamed up. That's why I can tell you about a story with nearly every one of them. A warring tongue, a praising tongue, and a praying tongue. Say, so, well, what's the difference? The warring tongue is when I'm going after the enemy. A praising tongue is when we're in here and we're worshiping and praising the Lord. And they said, well, let's just lift our hands and pray together in our prayer, heavenly prayer language. And you're just worshiping the Lord in your prayer language. You might sing, you might just speak it. It doesn't matter. Praying is when I'm in prayer 
seeking direction, seeking guidance, taking Romans 8 where it says, when you don't know how to pray, okay, I can give you the Halverson translation, when you don't know quite what to do and how to handle it, swing over in tongues because the Holy Spirit, who knows the mind of the Father, will take your silly sound and format it into the mind of the Father. Now that's fervent, effectual prayer. <laughs> okay? Intercession. Let me start out by saying this. Intercession is never for you. If you say, well, I'm going to intercede for my need. No. No, no, no. You appropriate everything you appropriate through faith. Are you with me? Intercession is in behalf of something or someone else. I would intercede for the nation. I would intercede for my family. I would intercede for my children. I don't intercede that he meets my needs because he's already given me a promise. I don't have to intercede for what he's already told me he's going to do. Matter of fact, I generally remind him of what he's going to do. I don't ask him for what to do. I don't say, Father, I need, I, I need you to meet my needs as a father according to your word. I rejoice in the way that you take care of me in a royal way. I'm royalty. I'm the son of the living God. Royalty never is, never is seen out begging nor is seen out begging bread. Forsaken or is seen out begging bread. Intercession. Intercession is highly effectual, especially in your family. Now, I'm going to couple that with fasting and intercession because they have a tendency to kind of be kissing cousins. My dad was an intercessor of the old school intercessor. If he said, we're going to have intercessory prayer, that meant he would go home, get his cot, and move into the church. Literally, we had a prayer room. He'd move into the prayer room. Dad would pray day and night. When he was too exhausted to pray, he'd sleep for a little while. He'd go home for an hour every morning and change his clothes and take a shower and come back and pray. You'd walk into the prayer room, you about fell on your face. But... God had, through his intercession, God called me into pastoring, and through his intercession, God's caused me to, to have Church of Living Water, and we survived the first five or six years purely on his intercession. Amen? Yeah, and I tell you what, first five or six years, we did extremely well. We were supporting missionaries all over the, all over the world. We had people out in Peru. We had people down in... In Brazil, we had, of course, uh, uh, Minigers over in Estonia. We had Bob Curry over in Finland. We had others that we were giving to because they just said they had a need, and we never could afford anything. We just said, hey, this is what we're doing. We need help. And God touched the hearts of the people to do it. Fasting. Matthew 17, 21. Remember Jesus had come off the Mount of Transfiguration? Now, 
I want to, I'm going to make a point here. Something super spiritual, a major breakthrough happened where Jesus revealed to Peter, James, and John who he really was, where he stood there in his glorified body and they beheld him for what he really was. You know, two of them passed out and one of them got, got full of yak and wanted to do something. Until finally God said, hey, Pete, shut up. Pay attention to what's going on here. Take, it, take in the moment. <laughs> the minute they come off the mountain, they got, a, they got a crisis. They got the rest of the guys trying to cast a devil out of a guy and nothing's happening. Anytime you have a major, major breakthrough, you're going to have a demonic activity that you're going to have to deal with coming off the mountain. I can almost assure it. Because he's going to try to neutralize what just happened up there. The enemy is trying to stop God from being God. <laughs> Come on, are you with me? And Jesus said, just rebuke the thing, and it came out. And the guys looked at him, and they said, hey, I understand why you can do it, but why couldn't we do it? We've always been successful in doing this. This is the first time it's never worked. And he said, there are some things that only come through fasting and prayer, or prayer and fasting. So fasting for the sake of going hungry isn't it. It's got to be for something of significant purpose. I would also say this, ask the Lord how long. Because if, you, if he says, because I, I, I've had in the past gone as high as three weeks on a fast. But I was instructed to go three weeks on a fast. First couple of three days are always rough because you've got to get your system not used to taking in. But about fourth day, you're fine. And after that, you really kind of debate whether you ever want to go back to eat again or not because it feels so good not having a full stomach, not being bloated, not being full of gas. <laughs> but I found three weeks was the maximum that he asked me to go. Most of them were three and four days. Okay. And I think the reason why it was is just the discipline of bringing my body under subjection to tell the body what we're going to do rather than the body demanding how we're going to do it. Okay? So, well, does fasting do anything to change God's heart? No. It did in the Old Testament. It was highly effectual because you were under a different operating system. So fasting was very effectual. Fasting in the New Testament is for you to prepare your heart to hear from God, not to move the hand of God. Okay? I'm sorry? Oh, it clears up your hearing. Yeah, yeah. Audible praise. <laughs> I got written down here. Sometimes I have to pray so loudly it drowns out the voice of my in my head. Audible praise never comes easy. It never comes where, where you say, I think it would be fun just to stand here and audibly praise for a while. Because when I'm talking about audible praise, I'm not talking about just two minutes of audible praise. 
I'm, I'm taking it almost like praying in an audible praise because what you're trying to do is refocus your mind on who has overcome the enemy, who has already established you as an overcomer, and how are you going to get through this? Like I said, a lot of times it shuts down the voices in my head that are coming up with all the reasons why this thing isn't going to work. And I'm loud. This is where a lot of times I like to get out, go camping. The first day I get everything set up and mess around, I'm just kind of wound up anyway. And the second day I go looking for a place to be quiet the third day. But the second day I'm walking trails all over the mountain, praying in tongues. Now, I've been up many times up into uh, Kings Canyon. Got a couple of places up there, really favorite places of mine. And the one thing that's nice is you got people from all over the world going to the park. So I can be praying in a loud voice, <laughs> praising, singing, whatever it might be. And I come up by a bunch of, bunch of people. I just wave and keep talking and keep praising. You know, they, they don't know what country I'm from. You know, in the way I'm at, I'm indicating with my body language, I'm not really wanting to be friendly. So they honor it and they move on, I move on. <laughs> but I find it gets my mind and my heart ready to receive the direction God is wanting to do. It's a war with more within me than it is warring with the enemy. But I'm warring with the enemy because the enemy is the one that's putting the stuff in my head that's keeping me from coming into the fullness of the reality of what my potential is. Rebuking. I think you're going to touch, about, touch on this in Jude next week. Satan and... Uh, oh, I went blank. Ooh. Michael. Satan and Michael, who's a warring angel, were warring over the body of Moses. Now, remember, they're of equal rank. One, one isn't over the other. They're of equal rank. And the angel, Michael, does not have authority in Jesus' name to come against Satan, but he can rebuke him in Jesus' name. He said, the Lord rebuke you and stopped him. There are issues in your life. There's issues in, let me, let me pick on our children. There's issues in our children's life that you have to rebuke. I rebuke that rebellious spirit. I rebuke that contentious spirit that's causing my child to be as, be as squirrely as they are. I rebuke the power that's coming against them, the authority that's, as, that they have that's causing this frustration in our home. I have the authority to do that. How much do I rebuke until I see something change? First of all, if you're going to rebuke, understand specifically what you're rebuking. Michael was contending over the body of Moses. 
they had something that he was rebuking them from doing. So understand your child. Understand the spirit that's causing your child to respond the way they're responding. They are precious little children. They're precious teenagers especially. This is not their normal thing. Though they are squirrely because of their age and the, the changes coming into their life and such, the individuation they're going through, this is true. But when the enemy is using them against you to bring frustration into the house, you've got to be clear enough to see it. So without letting the daughter know or your son know, you can still come against them. You can do it when they're married because you're the patron or the matron over their home, over, still over them. The same authority that they had when they were under your roof. Are you with me? You can also do it in your grandchildren. Commanding. In the name of Jesus, come off of them. In the name of Jesus, come out of them. In the name of Jesus, stop. I command you to loose your grip on them. Especially their mind. Loose their mind. I break the power of the enemy that has blinded them to the reality of what's right. Declarations. <laughs> I'm going to use Pastor Anthony here because he sets a declaration every Sunday morning without fail. When he prays over the little, little people before they go into their class, he prays over them. The prayer changes from Sunday to Sunday, but he always puts in and may they never know a day apart from your presence. That's a declaration. I had my life and our lives have been a life of declarations. We set in motion what we're going to see happen by a declaration. Most of our declarations are tied with scripture. He meets my need according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's no contention there at all. I don't care if nobody else in town eats, we're going to. That's a declaration. We're going to eat. If you're hungry, come over. We'll have food. I don't know how. I don't care how. That's his problem. Okay. <laughs> I use other declarations like, no matter how you throw me, sucker, I still land on my feet. Give it your best shot. <laughs> okay. I have on the whole armor of God, and I stand against the wiles of the devil. Sometimes I even add, and sometimes I go looking for him. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, especially issues on fear. I am not a fearful person because I'm a child of the Most High God. He has given me not the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. If I have power, I've got the ability to cast down fear. Come off of me, you rascal. Get out of my home. 
Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. It does, yes. Mm-hmm. If you'd stop, again, if we ever would use logic when fear hits us, we would realize that if we're spirit-filled, we're believing men and women of God full of the Holy Ghost and power, First of all, whatever the enemy says is a lie. He's a father of lies, and there is no truth in him. You would think that we'd be clever enough right off the get-go to say, if that's what he's saying, then the absolute opposite is true. Now I can move into praise. I can move into glory. Father, thank you. I've had to deal with fear. You've heard me tell the story many times. I had to fight him for 10 nights. We were making some alterations in, in our head count within the place I was working, and it wasn't I was going to be without a job. It just meant they could ship me anywhere in the nation so I could keep my job, and I didn't want to leave Fresno. And the enemy, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, comes by and said, you're not going to go, and when you do, you're going to lose your house, and you're going to lose your car, and probably Lenny will leave because she can't handle the pressure. And the fear hit me, and i tell you what, the only thing I touched on the bed is the back of my head and my heels. I kid you not, I shook like a cat. I soaked the bed. But I had done something, and I would fully encourage you to do it because this is the greatest tool in the world for you, with the word. I know where my soft spots are, so I build a wall around me with scriptures regarding those soft spots. And I started dealing a month or two before this thing hit on God meeting my need, God being my provider, God taking care of me. And I had a little half-tablet, half-page tablet, and I took the pronouns out and I put my name in. He meets Roger's need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I've never seen Roger, the righteous forsaken, or, or Roger out begging bread. And I had, I don't know, probably, I would say probably 50 scriptures on God's provision for me. And I remember the first night I said, come on, sucker, we're going to have a Bible study. I said, go on, sit down over there. And I started going over and reading my scriptures. It took me about an hour to get through them by the time I finally got done. But, man, I'm charged. I am pumped. Adrenaline's going, squirting out my ears. But this thing lifted. And I thought, oh, man, I got out of that. The next night and the next night, for ten flipping nights, the, after the tenth night, he never came back. I guess he figured there's no way he's going to make it. But it broke fear in me. I'm cautious. Big difference between being cautious and fearful. Okay? But fear does not have a grip on me. I get caught sometimes in some real strange places where I realize there's a danger lurking here. But the first thing I do, I said, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers me and the angels of the Lord which are round about me. But we will get through this thing irrespective if you have to have the angels carry the car out of here. It doesn't matter. 
no harm is going to come nigh me. And you just keep, again, yeah, am I fearful? No, just cautious. Would I go down there on purpose? No, that's stupid. Shouting. You want to be able to do this in a place where the neighbors don't think you've totally lost your mind. But this is where you shout your declaration. Remember when they walked around the, the, the city of Jericho? Said so in the seventh time, when we finished the last lap, I want you to shout. Now, I want you to understand something. The, sh the, the walls in Jericho, I think if I, if I remember the figures correctly, were 30 feet high. They were 10 feet across at the top because two chariots could pass on the top of the wall. The wall could not come tumbling down. The wall could not fall down because even if it fell down, you still have 10 feet to climb and then you have to go up and jump off 30 feet in the other end. I mean, come on, that's nuts. The walls had the elevator down, Ooh, into the ground. On a shout. There are times in my shout, I'm shouting, come down. Come down, you foul sucker. Get off your throne. Get off your seat of authority over this issue. Your power has been broken. Get off. So how do I know when to shout? Ask him. Giving. You got financial problems? I'm going to give you a sneaky way of getting, getting rid of him. Start giving. I don't care if you have to start with a button. Whenever we got into a situation where the enemy got on our money, you see, here's the thing you got to understand. You got to see this in your mind. He said he meets my needs. He said if I tithe, that we have a contract. An agreement. I'm his, he's mine. All that I have is his, all that he has is mine. The money is always there, but there is something that's restricting the flow of coming into your pocket. You've got to come against it, and sometimes the only way you can break it is by giving. And we've had to go through our home and say, Father, what do we have that somebody else needs? <laughs> sometimes it might be money. Sometimes it might be furniture. It might be clothes. It might be... A number of different things. We start looking for things to give away. A lot of times I would just give more money into the missions program. I said, that's not a problem. When he said, how are we going to handle that? And I said, I don't know, but there'll be enough. And somehow we always made it. Not always did we have an excess, but we, had a, we, we always made it. My understanding, if I understand finances from the Lord, we should have enough to meet our expenses Enough to pay our tithes, enough to pay our taxes, because Jesus said, give Caesar what's Caesar's, right? <laughs> give unto the Lord what's the Lord. So we give them. And then on over and above that, he said there should be an excess to give away. So if there's no excess, 
there's somebody who's got a throttle around your excess. So what well, does it work? Yeah, we've had people give stuff to us, give money to us. I've had a guy walk up one time. I have no idea who it is. He said, I felt God, God laid on my heart that you had a need. And I found a cashier's check for, 50, for 500 bucks on my front step. I have to this day, I have no idea who the man was. But we had, we've had cars given to us. We've had furniture given to us. We've had, I've had guns given to me. Good gun. I mean, things you'd be tickled to have. Antiques. I got a 58 breech loader. Some guy said, I'm, I'm believing the enemy is going to be broken over my giving. I want to give this gun to you. I said, okay. I said, I'll take it under one condition. He said, I won't take any conditions. I said, you got it on this. I said, should uh, down the road you want to come back and pick it up, I've got it for you. And we've had some that did. So didn't offend me, surprised me, didn't offend me. <laughs> I think the thing that surprised me is the way he did it. <laughs> uh, that different story. Now, when that happens, here's the thing. If somebody takes something from you, I'll give you an example. We had a car. We had a, on an 85 Olds. <coughs> had it parked in the front of the house, and about 4 o'clock in the morning, our little dog went nuts. So I happened to run outside to see the taillights disappearing down the street. Somebody stealing my car. So I went out to Lynn and said, they stole the car. She said, what are you going to do? I said, well, call the sheriff and we'll turn the thing in. Maybe they can catch him. And then we get together in the middle of the front room. We held hands and we said, Father, the car wasn't paid for. But if you want us to give it to somebody, that's one thing. You're going to have to let us know. He didn't have to take it this way. I'd have given it if you'd asked me to, even though it wasn't paid for. But I said, I sense the enemy has come to take it. I want the car back. I want it back this morning, and I want it back in good condition. We went to bed. Two hours later, I get a call from the sheriff's office and said, we found your car. It's over by the airport on Peach, you know, where Peach crosses McKinley there. That's a jungle. That's a, that's a drug jungle over in that area over there. They said, we found your car. It's over here running with all four doors open. The only thing I could figure is one of my big hairy-legged angels got there ahead of him and was standing there with his hand on the hood going, uh-uh. And this guy, they left the car. I mean, here, anybody could have gotten the car and drove it away. Are you with me? The only thing they did, they tore the collar off to short out the wires, and they tried to get the speakers out of the back end, which had to be glued back in. That's it. And the sheriff looked at, uh, looked at the deputy, and he said, he said, Roger, I'll be honest with you. He said, this doesn't make any sense at all. He said, generally, when they take a car like this, they love to run over curbs or anything that can tear up the undercarriage of the car. And he said, this car is in, in pristine condition. He said, it's just like something scared them, and they just left the car. And I said, yeah. <laughs> it was mine. He has no authority to take it. He's a thief. I want it back, and I want it in good condition.
Singing. Oh, how about dancing? Oh, my goodness, we're running out of time here. Dancing. Uh, there's sometimes you got to put some wild music on and just dance like nobody's looking. It doesn't matter how you look. It's like singing. It doesn't matter how you sound. He didn't say sing on key. He said make a joyful noise. Come on, are you with me? And sometimes you just have to dance wildly. He said, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. The only thing I could do, and again, this is Roger, okay? I could see me jumping up and down on the devil's head, dancing. I don't know if it was true or not, but it did something to break loose what was needed to be done. Other times they've been singing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Anything, any noise you make unto him, again, singing, singing a loud voice, being quiet. Now this is, <laughs> we'll finish with this because it's getting close to end time here. Quiet is the, probably the hardest of all warfare items to have because everything in you is churning. By the way, let, let me just say something to you. You being in faith and your body, your mind going nuts does not correlate or cause a problem. I have emotions. My emotions are part of my soul. My faith is part of my faith man. I can be standing in faith, but my mind's going crazy trying to make sense of all this stuff. Come on, are you with me? It doesn't mean I'm out of faith. It means my mind, I'm trying to get my mind slowed down so I can say, hey, chill, we got this. And sometimes it takes some extreme things to do it. Getting quiet is an extreme thing. Uh, I think probably one of the most interesting ones, I heard that Jack Hayford had just moved into his church on the way, church uh, down in Van Nuys, right at the beginning of his ministry there. And he said, <laughs> first Sunday morning he showed up, he said, I looked up in the corner of the platform on the right-hand side, and he said, there's a demon sitting there. And he said, Lord, what do I do about that? And he said, nothing. He said, what do you mean, nothing? He said, nothing. He said, each Sunday, I'd come in, and he said, well, Lord, do I rebuke him? No. Do I cast him out? No. What do I do? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Week after week, I think something like either three or four months, every Sunday he'd come, and that sucker was up there. One Saturday night, they had a massive earthquake in Van Nuys. And when it came to church on a Sunday morning, that puppy was gone. <laughs> One of the ways to understand if a stronghold has been broken over an area is with an earthquake. Not all earthquakes are the enemy being broken. Don't get me wrong. Remember when Paul was in Philippi and he turned around to the woman who was sitting there prophesying over him and he rebuked the devil that was in her, the spirit is in her. And, it's, and that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and at midnight, nine hours later, it took them nine hours to get, get their act together to move into a different attitude than where they had been up to that ninth hour. 
but they began to sing, and as they sang, what happened? An earthquake hit. But immediately, Philippi became open to the gospel and became one of the larger churches in, in, the, in the ministry. Because that puppy came down. It took nine hours after he commanded it for it to manifest. And it was of such a high rank when it did, it actually was manifested in the earth. Now, how do we know it was a spiritual thing? Because their bonds fell off, the doors flew open. Earthquakes, your, your handcuffs don't come off in an earthquake. Come on. Oh, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that next week. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I've got that down to go. Being quiet. I'm going to hit obedience, and I'm going to come back to forgiveness next week. Let me put a little arrow there so I make sure I remember. Forgiveness, I want to take a little time on because that's a major, 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 major big one. Obedience. I mentioned this over the last couple of weeks. When God asks you to do something, he doesn't expect anything except instant response. Conquerors. Who is that, Lenny? Uh, oh, I hate that. Terry Mites, thank you. The reason he knows is Terry came to our church a number of times. <laughs> Here's a guy. He goes to all the big churches. He's in great demand, but he loved to come to our church. I said, Terry, and again, he would he would fly out in his own plane at his expense, not he said, Rod, all I want is just a love offering. He said, I'll be happy. I said, I asked him one day, we're having lunch. I said, Terry, I said, you can go anywhere in the, in the nation. Why our church? He said, I love the atmosphere. He said, the presence of the Lord is so strong in there. He says, to minister and to be in the presence is just incredibly fun. But Terry had a, had a philosophy. He said, I keep absolutely nothing that may have any sentimental value at all. He said, if it has any connection or any hold on me, he said, I immediately give it away. Because he said, I don't want to hold anything in my hands if the Lord says, I need you to give it to them, that I would hesitate one second. Because he said, if I hesitate one second, I'm in disobedience, even though I follow through and give it away. I've missed the curve and the maximum potential of what could come from that because of that. Terry Myers was, I'll finish with this, it's just a, such a great story. He was ministering down in Mexico, and when God called him to Mexico, he never told anybody where he was going to go. He sold everything, sold his home, sold his furniture, gave everything away. And uh, somebody caught him when they were going out. He said, where are you guys going? He said, we're going to Mexico. He said, what are you going to do in Mexico? He said, we're going down to minister. He said, do you have any money? He said, no. He said, well, how are you going to do it? He said, I don't know. God called me down there. We're going to find out if he can afford me. 
see if this thing is going to hold, basically what he says, I see if this thing is going to hold water with him taking care of me. And he went on pure faith, never told anybody what he needed, never sent a letter out, never did anything. And he went down, had an incredible ministry down there. He was going between quite a distance across Mexico and he picked up a hitchhiker. And he's talking to the guy and the guy pulled a gun on him and he said, I want your watch and your billfold. And he says, okay. He had a revolver and he said, I'm going to shoot you. He said, well, no. He said, you can't kill me. He said, what do you mean I can't kill you? He said, I got the gun. He said, it doesn't matter. He said, you, you can't kill me. So he said, we got down the road a ways and he had me pull over. Got out. He said, the man's standing about 10, maybe 15 feet from me. And he said, I'm going to kill you. And he said, son, you don't understand. I'm a child of the most high God. And my time is not ready yet. You're not going to kill me. And he said, he fired. And he said, the bullet kicked up dust between my feet. The guy looked at him, ended up taking six shots at the man, and all six shots right between Terry's feet. And he said, son, he said, I told you. You can't kill me. Now, he said, where are you going? He said, well, i got to go down this road here about 80 miles to my home. He said, well, get in a truck. I'll take you. He said, by the way, I want my watch and my drill back. <laughs> Led him to the Lord, and the guy turned that whole area upside down for Jesus. Yeah, you can't kill me. Didn't get upset with him. Didn't scream at him. Didn't yell at him. Ah, he's a wild man. God told him, he said, go get this baby. I got to quit here. Go get this baby. He said, it died. So I said, I walked over, picked the baby up, and he said, in the name of Jesus, I bind death, baby, breathe. He said, I walked the floor carrying that baby, commanding life, commanding life, commanding life. Binding the death angel, binding death in the baby for eight hours. And he said, after about eight hours, the baby coughed. You see, guys, this is high risk, but it's high reward. It's the obedient side. It's the obedient side. God wants us to be obedient. Here's why I think obedience is so, so, so special for us right now. There are places that we don't need to be. At times, we don't need to be there. And if we're obedient, and he says, turn right here, rather than saying, well, but I'm going straight. Maybe, maybe he can take you a different way home and keep you out of danger and keep you out of trouble. Okay, maybe you might get a good business deal if he says, go buy this. Go sell this. Go give your car to Charlie over there. Well, Charlie, you got a car. Okay, you just blew your assignment. <laughs> well, how do I know if it's the Lord? You get to know his voice. My sheep know... He doesn't say my lambs know my voice. He said my... If you got a voice problem, you got a lamb problem. Yeah. 
Is it easy to understand the voice? Not to begin with, but you've got to find out. That's why journaling, I think, is probably one of the greatest ways of understanding, because you can go back and see how things mustered out. With me, this is right after my son was, was killed in a car accident. I was down south, and they, were, they had finished the evening service, and they had called some people up to give a word to different people, and my cousin was a pastor, and he saw us back there, and he said, Roger, stand up. God's got a word for you. He pointed to somebody on the platform. He said, give him a word. And the word is basically this. He said, um, oh, I'm trying to think exactly how, what it went. It's been a while since I told the story. Basically, it boiled down to this. He said, you're saying, that's my voice. And he said, no. He said, that's not your voice. That's my voice. Oh, no, I keep, you know, here's what the kid said. He said, you're saying continually, I want to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to hear the voice of the Lord. He said, you're hearing the voice of the Lord. He said, only thing is, you're saying that's my voice, and it's not your voice, it's my voice. I said, oh, okay. So I started making notes, and I started keeping track. And I found out when it's my voice, I could remember it maybe one or two days. When it was his voice, I could remember it a month later. <laughs> 